It's worth knowing what's really going on. This is the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This is Access Atlanta. Your weekly look at what's fun, entertaining, and educational in and around Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. Every week, we're here to help you get ready for the weekend and bring you conversations with some of the most interesting people in arts, culture, food, and entertainment. Let's get started with a couple of events that are happening around town this week. This Sunday is Easter, and there are many ways to mark the holiday with activities, events, and do-it-yourself items to fill gift baskets and buckets. Egg hunts and family photos offer opportunities to dress the kids in their Sunday finest. Families can gather atop Stone Mountain during a sunrise worship service, which will return for the first time in two years. Or stay home and customize baskets and buckets with things like jelly beans, lollipops, plush toys, and more. You'll find more Easter ideas in the Go Guide section in Friday's Atlanta Journal-Constitution, or check out the story online at AJC.com. Farmers markets have become a common staple in communities throughout Metro Atlanta. Nearly four dozen farmers markets offer locally grown produce, prepared foods, specialty goods, chef demonstrations, live entertainment, and more. We've put together a helpful guide to what you need to know about the farmers markets in your area. Find the comprehensive list at AJC.com. Stay tuned for more events later in the podcast and after the featured conversation, we'll take a look at what the AJC is bringing you this week, both online and in print. But first, we're going to hear about an intriguing new exhibition at Emory's Carlos Museum. Plastic bottles, computer parts, buzzing flies circling decay, and beaches streaked with acrid black oil register as a new kind of colonialism in the stunning Michael C. Carlos Museum of Emory University exhibition, And I Must Scream, The Monstrous Expression of Our Global Crises. It's a challenging multifaceted show centered on topics like climate change, political corruption, consumption, and the legacy of war and colonialism in Africa. Felicia Feaster recently spoke with the museum's curator of African art, Amanda Hellman, who organized the show, and Felicia is here to bring us that conversation. Welcome, Felicia. Hi, Shane. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here, and this sounds like a really fascinating show. It really is. I think people maybe associate the Carlos Museum uh, with antiquities and works of art that are from a completely other time, but these works in And I Must Scream are incredibly timely. And I had a fascinating conversation with the curator, Amanda H. Hellman, who put this show together and really focuses on 
Artists from around the world, including one Atlanta-based artist, Amy Esslinger, but all of the artists are dealing with contemporary issues of pollution and colonialism and climate change. Um, really fascinating topics that have a lot of resonance for uh, viewers today. Yeah, that's great. And the show is going to be up through uh, May 15th, I believe you said? That's correct. And people should really make an effort to go see this exhibition. I mean, they, these are internationally known artists, um, a lot of big powerhouse artists, and it's just a fascinating show. And it's this subject matter sounds grim, but in truth, um, Dr. Hellman ends the exhibition on a note of hope. And the exhibition really takes you on an emotional journey. You know, it does deal with a lot of disturbing subject matter, but it ends on a note of hope. And I think that's a tribute to Dr. Hellman's ability to kind of shift um, ideas in the course of the exhibition. And, and it's really much, a, it's a narrative exhibition that, that ends on a hopeful note. Awesome. So hey, is there anything else we should know before we go into your conversation with Dr. Hellman? Just that prepare for the unexpected, prepare from some incredibly visceral, interesting imagery, including a work um, by the Atlanta artist I mentioned, Amy Esslinger, that is really like a, almost like a spreading disease throughout the gallery. She does a really incredible installation. There are several installation pieces in the exhibition, but hers is really notable for this very sensory dimension to the work that, that gives a sense of this spreading um, malice. It's, it's fascinating. Okay, well, let's hear from Amanda H. Hellman of the Carlos Museum. Thanks so much, Felicia. Thanks. Um, thank you so much, Dr. Hellman, for being here. Thank you for having me. This is wonderful. Well, first off, I'm really curious about what ignited your interest in African art and inspired you to make it your career focus. Um, so I studied, started studying African art in graduate school uh, in my master's program at Williams College. I had studied religions of the African diaspora in, um, as an undergrad, as a, a theology and art history major in college. Um, and so I sort of entered it from uh, the back door. But I think after studying art history for many years, I really loved the way in which it required that I think differently and um, learn a new vocabulary and learn a new way to sort of interact with visual material. I think it also, um, it sparked all sorts of questions about how we view uh, art in a museum space um, and, and how we engage with these objects, um, which it was really the topic of my dissertation um, at, at, in graduate school about museum development in West Africa. Um, but I, I also think that the, the fact that I always get to learn something new, um, that I'm, you know, the continent is so large and so vast and the, the diversity of visual material means that every day I see something that I've never seen before. And, and so that, that opportunity to constantly learn and grow um, and, and see new things, I, I think is, is really one of the most amazing parts of my job. 
Well, just to back up a little bit, And I Must Scream features 10 international artists, and it's centered on the figure of the monster. The subtitle is The Monstrous Expression of Our Global Crises. And in the work on view, the monster is a lot of different things. It can be about environmental destruction or the pandemic or conflict or colonialism. And I think people really like to often see monsters as something separate from us. But literature and film and your exhibition, um, everything from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein to every zombie movie ever made, all of these things have suggested the monster is actually something of our own creation, that we are partly responsible for the monster. So why was it important to you to emphasize that this is a monster of our own invention that you're dealing with in this exhibition? I think that it's really important to see the way in which the systems of oppression or the systems of destruction are uh, are really systems that we created, and maybe not, um, you know, on an individual basis, but um, that we're all born into these systems that we're participating in them in some way, and so to see our our role. Uh, in that system, in those systems of destruction, I think is really the only way to to seek solutions to them as well. Um, and I think the the stage is set by Yinka Shonabare's The Sleep of Reason Produces Monsters, based on Goya's um, 1799 print of the same name, um, in which, you know, Goya, one of the interpretations that I found most compelling uh, is that, you know, um, it, it, he's not depicting monsters, right? The owls and the lynx are not monsters, but he's sort of depicting monstrosity itself and the danger that lurks um, in the darkness. And so I think, again, this, this idea that there are these, these systems of destruction that um, are born of man, is, you know, to acknowledge that is really to also set the stage to transform it into monsters of regeneration, monsters of growth and compassion. Absolutely. Well, to me, one of the, the motifs in this show is this, this idea of life out of balance. There are, in the, the image you referred to, there are these taxidermied owls, and many of the images have flies buzzing around everywhere. There are parrots in some work that seem to consume a man's head a tortoise shell used as a shield. And in Atlanta artist Amy Esslinger's work, these spreading, mutating sculptural forms like madly replicating cells. Can you talk about how nature is both monstrous and something that's taken advantage of, that's preyed upon um, in the show? Of course. I mean, I, I, I don't think that nature in any form is really monstrous, right? But it's, um, but it is that, that, when it gets out of balance, that um, that it sort of doesn't work for the for the human systems, right? You know, a virus is natural, but when you um, have uh, you know environmental destruction and corruption and displacement thrown in there, all of a sudden the virus becomes something that is uncontrollable. It becomes a pandemic. Um, I was. Uh, one of the stories that I was really inspired by that, you know, um, provided the part of the title was um, I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream by Harlan Ellison. And Harlan Ellison writes that, um, uh, you know, this this computer that's 
made by humans to wage war on um, humans' behalf um, ends up destroying humanity. Um, and this idea um, in science fiction that the human, even um, in these crazy worlds, these unimaginable worlds, is still the protagonist, I think is, is one of the, the, the sort of elements that leads to imbalance. And something that I was really drawn to um, by including Chinupa Hanska Luger's work, Muscle, Bone, and Sinew, um, in which he created the, this uh, work for this exhibition, in which these muscle, bone, and sinew were created to um, uh, cast seed on a scorched landscape. They were created um, for the purpose of regeneration. And it's something that comes up as central to, you know, indigenous literature and philosophy and stories is really this idea that humans are part of a larger cast of characters, um, that they work uh, and coexist with uh, the land, the water, the air, insects, and other creatures. And it's that, that sort of mindset, that idea that um, we're just a part of a system um, rather than the central figure through which, and we're looking at everything and we're controlling everything um, as human, as protagonist that I think is, um, is you know, really illustrative of how we've also created these systems of destruction and how, you know, nature is, uh, seems out, out of balance because it doesn't serve us any longer um, because the hurricane, uh, you know, destroys a coastal town um, is, is really, you know, the, by just twisting the fact that this coastal town is also in the path of a hurricane. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe human beings need to stop thinking of themselves as the star of the show and more of uh, themselves as bit players in this uh, game of life. Absolutely. <laughs> so the, the show, your exhibition is a bit different from other exhibitions that people might be used to at the Carlos, um, where there's more of a focus on art of the ancient world. Did you have, is, was it a hard sell to convince either the museum hierarchy or just to get audiences engaged in an exhibition that was more about contemporary art? Um, so the exhibition evolved to become a solely contemporary exhibition that I started by incorporating a lot of historical African art. Um, but I was very concerned about um, implying in any sort of way that these are African problems. Um, and so it's sort of naturally um, expanded. And I think that I moved away from, um, you know, actually a lot of uh, uh, problems that are about the sort of unknown dangers into um, more sinister issues that we face today and sinisters, sinister systems of destruction that we face today. Um, I, I think that it may be unusual and surprising for a Carlos audience to see you know, exclusively contemporary art. Um, but I have always been interested in using contemporary art to look at historical material in a new way, um, to really see the way in which it's connected to issues that we face today. Um, and, and I think, you know, again, I, I'm the curator of African art. I don't have um, very many antiquities in my collection. So I don't really see the Carlos Museum as an antiquities museum, but um, really one that explores, um, you know, 
uh, cultures, you know, from a broad, uh, uh, you know, length of time um, and really up to today. This is Access Atlanta. I'm your host, Shane Harrison. We'll continue with our chat with the Carlos Museum's Amanda Hellman after a short break. But first, here's more of our list of things to do around Metro Atlanta. Daniel Gerard Breland, who goes by Breland, has named his upcoming album Cross Country for an obvious reason. The former Atlanta resident is a man who built his songwriting career on R&B and rap before crossing over to country as an artist. His video for the song Cross Country was nominated for CMT Breakthrough Video of the Year on the recent CMT Awards, which aired for the first time on CBS. On the CMT Awards, he performed a portion of his upbeat, gospel-tinged Praise the Lord as part of an array of up-and-coming artists. He sang the same song in full last month at the ACM Awards with Thomas Rhett. This weekend, he'll be performing at the Bartow County Saddle Club in Cartersville in a fundraiser for Juvenile Diabetes Research and Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Read Rodney Ho's interview with Breland in the Living section in today's Atlanta Journal-Constitution or check it out online at AJC.com. To an unaware passerby, the warehouse complex where the 44 Murals Project has taken shape over the last several months is easy to write off. Situated at 1060 Donald Lee Hollowell Parkway in Bankhead, most of the murals aren't immediately visible from the road. And unlike the trendier hotspots along the Beltline where murals have become a popular and abundant site, there's next to no foot traffic. But that's what makes the complex so astounding. As you walk the concrete expanse surrounded by barbed wire fencing and peppered with orange traffic cones, you're greeted by a fully realized outdoor gallery stretching as far down the gravel path as you can see. Grinning skulls, giant arachnids, a throne painted in such a way that you can pose for pictures as if you were sitting atop it. A woman whose flowing, flowering hair descends an external staircase. Read more about this unusual outdoor exhibition in a story from our partners at Arts ATL, which you can find at AJC.com. Now it's time for this week's adoptable pet from the folks at Lifeline who run the Fulton and DeKalb shelters along with the Lifeline Community Animal Center. Do you like to go on adventures? How about an afternoon hanging out at a brewery? Or are cuddles more your speed? Alexis has you covered on all of the above. This versatile, intrepid pup is happy to accompany you on whatever you have planned for the day. Alexis loves to play, be it chasing down a tennis ball or inviting you to a tug competition. Alexis is also delighted to be your cuddle buddy, getting lots of belly rubs and offering soft kisses in return. She loves everyone she meets, from small kids to adults, especially if they have a treat to offer her. Her floppy ears are so expressive, and you'll get lost in her soulful eyes. Come meet your new best friend, Alexis, the perfect combination of active fun and couch potato snuggles. She's at the Lifeline Community Animal Center at 3180 Presidential Drive in Atlanta. You'll find a photo of Alexis and a link to find out more on the story page for this podcast at AJC.com. Ocean breeze. Tropical beach. An air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. 
Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. This is Access Atlanta from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The facts matter now more than ever. Get unlimited digital access to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution so you know what's really going on. And you're helping us fulfill our mission to bring you the news that's important to you. Subscribe today at subscribe.ajc.com podcast and your first month of unlimited digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com podcast to join the community for just 99 cents. Let's continue our conversation with Amanda Hellman. Well, one, for me, one of the most striking, um, even terrifying bodies of work in this show is Fabrice Montero's Prophecy series. Um, They're photographs. um, Actually, Montero is of dual African and European heritage. So in his photographs, he comments on the environmental degradation in Dakar, Senegal, by dressing characters in costumes made of sludge and fishing nets and plastic bottles and animal parts. Can you tell us a little bit about what you think makes this work so captivating? I mean, it was captivating for me. I'm assuming other people are going to be captivating because it's really incredible. Absolutely. Um, Montero, who is Beninese Belgian, um, works uh, with a fashion designer, a Senegalese fashion designer named Dulce, who is known for um, working with all sorts of materials. He recycles a lot. He's known to um, be able to sew anything. Um, and he creates this couture that is just absolutely, you know, I mean, it's just beautiful, you know, gowns and, uh, you know, dresses and things like that. And it's what's sort of, so in and of itself, that is just an incredible work of art. Um, but I think the figures also, um, you know, it seems as though, even though they're sort of born of this pollution that they, are suffocating from it as well, um, that they sort of, and, and I think that this is true of all the monsters, that they're sort of um, navigating the world without any moral compass to direct its behavior. Um, and, you know, really, again, putting the onus on humans to, um, to, to guide it and to direct the, the act, actions of the monster. Um, and I think, you know, uh, this is uh, the prophecy is a series that's been um, that uh, Montiero has been working on for about 10 years and it continues to do so. He's taking, um, you know, the the sets all over the world you know, to show the dying reefs um, off the coast of Australia um, to, uh, you know, Peru. Um, and I think that, you know, what makes it so captivating is the way in which the monsters feel um, kind of human. And yet, you know, they're, they have this sort of human form. Um, and yet they're, and, and then we also recognize all of the pollution, all of the litter that makes up their forms. Um, so I think we see ourselves and the repercussions of our actions in those figures. Um, you know, I think of the VHS tape bull monster 
And I feel terrible. My mom said, you called me out the other day in an interview because I can remember, right, the big box of VHS tapes in my mom's basement from when, you know, we used, we had two VCRs and we would record, you know, tapes or what, what was on TV on these VHS tapes. And now we have all of it and it's just waste, right? Nobody has a VCR anymore. Nobody has the DVD player anymore. And, you know, so this idea that we can see our actions in these monsters in a very real, very tangible way, um, I think is, is both, you know, captivating and horrifying. Um, One thing I really appreciated about this show is despite all of the grim um, topics, uh, you end on an upbeat note, specifically in the charming work Buddhist Bug by Cambodian American artist Anita Yu Ali. Did you feel like you had to provide some sense of uplift after, after showing people this almost apocalyptic vision of this world we've created? I, I don't think I did it for the audience. I think I did it for myself. Um, I, you know, I started working on the show in 2019, but the majority of the exhibition was developed um, during the pandemic when I was at home and not around colleagues um, to talk about this with, but only my poor husband who had enough of monsters, I think. Um, and I, I actually, uh, she was, her work was one of the first, um, pieces I, um, in, pursued, uh, when I was, um, expanding it beyond African artists. Um, and I actually initially, um, w- framed her work as a work about displacement and, um, and really the, the horror, um, of, uh, the Khmer Rouge. Um, and and what happened in Cambodia. Um, and I would say it was really only um, in the last six months or so that uh, I really understood how her work fit into the story. Um, and it, in some ways it was um, how I looked at, uh, you know, rereading and rereading, I have no mouth and I must scream um, and realizing that that was, that's really a story about hope. Um, At the end of the um, story, the protagonist um, sets his um, fellow humans, the remaining humans, free from the torture of the master computer. And he does this by killing them, um, which seems dark, is dark. um, But the idea that he subjects himself to a lifetime, uh, a lifetime, more than a lifetime, and, you know, an infinity of time um, to torture by this computer so that they don't have to, um, really helped me understand the way in which uh, the key to solving so many of these problems um, is through compassion. And what I saw in the Buddhist bug was um, this embodiment of compassion uh, through the refugee experience. This idea that, you know, you, um, that when Anita goes home to Cambodia, goes back to Cambodia, um, that she, you know, can speak the language and looks like other Cham Muslim women, um, but stands out. Um, And here in America, even though she speaks without an accent, her experience means that she stands out. And and this idea that um, 
The bug can fit into any space, can shrink into this tiniest space or expand um, as needed and, um, and, and fits into every corner and yet always stands out. I think was for me this, this revelation, right? That this, is, this really is a story of, of hope in that if we practice compassion, um, we will start to see ourselves in the monster um, and we'll be able to guide the monster for, for good um, rather than destructive forces. And I think I needed that after, you know, the last two years and, um, and feeling, you know, you get as, as you start to see the way in which all of these themes are connected, um, that you can't really understand the pandemic without in understanding environmental destruction and displacement, that you can't understand human rights violations without understanding corruption, that, you know, it seems like there's no escape. And I think <coughs> in, um, in seeing the way in which developing compassion can really offset the hubris and the destruction is really powerful. And you make a great point is it is very much a show about interconnection. Yeah. And seeing ourselves in, in other people's realities because we are responsible. Um, well, I am sorry to, I guess, see that you're leaving. You, you have a new position. You're actually going to be leaving the Carlos. Can you tell us what um, lies in your own future? I guess I'll be leaving in May to become the director of the Vanderbilt University Art Gallery in Nashville. Um, so this is my last exhibition at the Carlos, but there's a lot of um, you know amazing potential at the Carlos. There, there's a search for a new director um, and a new associate director. Um, the, the Carlos is going to collaborate with the library, I think more closely. So I think, um, you know, watch out for what's happening at the Carlos in the coming years, because I think there's, um, you know, a new sort of uh, direction that, that lays ahead. Well, you're ending on a definite high note. We wish you the best of luck. Thank you so much for joining us in this discussion on Access Atlanta today, Dr. Hellman. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed my time. The AJC brings you the best of what's happening in and around Atlanta on AJC.com, along with deeper looks at trends in arts and entertainment and compelling looks at lost bits of history. Here's a taste of what you'll find there. Kennesaw State University student Justin Schechter recently celebrated an important milestone, two years of sobriety. The 23-year-old sophomore marked the moment one evening eating with a few friends at a $3 cafe near campus. Schechter, who is recovering from substance abuse disorder, joked he went to bed at a reasonable hour of 10.30 p.m. Schechter told the AJC's Eric Sturgis, quote, I don't know how I would have been able to stay sober, happy, and serene as I am now without the people here, unquote. Schechter is one of several hundred KSU students who have benefited through various campus substance abuse and recovery initiatives this school year. The university's Center for Young Adult Addiction and Recovery, which started 15 years ago, is considered to be one of the oldest campus-based efforts in the Southeast. Hear from more of the students this pioneering program has helped in the Sunday, April 17th Living and Arts section in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, or read the story online at AJC.com. When Venus Morris Griffin was in the deepest pit of darkness, she made a pact. If God helped her get out, 
She would share her story, no matter how humiliating, in hopes of helping others. God followed through, and now Griffin has too. One of Augusta's top-selling realtors, Griffin began sharing her harrowing life story through online real estate training sessions, then transitioned to speaking at national real estate conferences, packing halls to standing room only. Next came podcast interviews, which is how Brandon Stanton heard her story. Stanton is the creator of Humans of New York, the popular photo blog started in 2010 on Instagram and Facebook that has amassed nearly 12 million followers, produced three anthologies, and most recently, a memoir. On March 3rd, Humans of New York ran a 13-part story on Griffin that promptly went viral. Freelance writer Carrie Janton recently spoke with both Griffin and Stanton about sharing her powerful story. You'll find it in the Sunday, April 17th Living and Arts section in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and online at AJC.com. If you're listening to this podcast on AJC.com, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. For more things to do in and around Atlanta, go to AJC.com. The podcast is edited by Tyson Horn. The theme music is by Bo Emerson and Billy Ewan. And I'm your host and the AJC's arts and entertainment editor, Shane Harrison. Join us next week for more Access Atlanta. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.